It's Monday, March 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hanson. Happy Monday, guys. Yo. Happy Monday. Everybody survived St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, it was rather uneventful. I, I was going to say, I... you know, there comes a point, particularly when you have young kids, where it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't really rip it up on St. Patrick's no. Day. We made a hot whiskey, which was, which was the uh, the pinnacle of our St. Patrick's Day at home. Um, okay, now I need the recipe for hot whiskeys. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's just you know you do do like a teaspoon of honey. Okay. Mix it with boiling water. You get sort of a simple syrup. Then you uh, add in your shot of whiskey, a little more boiling water. Then you put a lemon in with some uh, cloves in it. It's nice. It's warming. <laughs> Very, very typically Irish. You're welcome, everyone. There you go. That's it. We're done. Forget the news. Let's story. go get one of these. Uh, we're going to talk telecoms and cable TV. Uh, the uh, small craft brewers have some new competition. We'll get into that. But we begin today on the tiny island nation of Cyprus, um, which I did have to look up on a map. <laughs> it's there. Uh, it is there. I had no. I, I knew roughly where it was, but I had to look it it's up. It's no on somewhere. But, um, uh, yeah, Maldives. Uh, I was also interested to learn about 900,000 people live on the island nation of Cyprus. It has a GDP of $22 billion. And the reason it's our lead story is because the Cyprus banking system apparently was heavily invested in some Greek sovereign debt. And Oops. Tim, that didn't turn out so well. No. Take it from there. Uh, we basically had this bailout, a new EU bailout of the Cyprus banks, but this is unlike any bailout that we've seen before. There's there's not really a lot of austerity, or certainly in the ways that we've seen it in previous EU bailouts. So so everybody knows banks. Banks have balance sheets. Balance sheets are two parts, the asset side, the liability side. You know, on the asset side sits things like the loans they make, the Greek bonds they invested, quote-unquote, in. <laughs> what a great idea. Great idea. Uh, and, and, and all the things that the bank does with its liabilities. And the liabilities are... And most of the time, consumer deposits. So you go, you take your money into the bank, you deposit it at the bank, they owe it to you. It's a liability that the bank has, but they then go invest it, and then they share their investment gains with you in the form of interest. So Cyprus's banks, Cypriot banks, have attracted a lot of deposits from from overseas, Um, uh, and and, and Russia being a place that deposited a lot of money in Cyprus because it had relatively high interest rates. And, but then Cyprus Cypriot banks did a poor job of investing those funds. And so now that their, their assets and their liabilities have become out of whack, whereas they have a lot less assets than liabilities. And that's what is a failed bank. Um, and that's when they need to be recapitalized. Uh, there, there are many ways to recapitalize a bank. One would be to sell equity. But who's going to be buying equity in a, in a really crappy in, bank? In a failed bank. Um, another way would be for the government to give the bank money which is what we did here in the United States. Uh, Cyprus does not have enough money to give to its banks because the banks, because of all these foreign deposits, got too big for the country, basically, which means the EU could step in. But the EU has a real moral problem with what's happening in Cyprus because of the, the presence of all those offshore deposits that allegedly may or may not have come from things like the Russian mafia or Russian oligarchs who got, got them ill they were ill-gotten gains. So Allegedly. Allegedly. So faced with this problem, they needed to recapitalize their banks, and they had no way to do it. They decided that they would just throw down a one-time tax, a levy, as they call it, on bank deposits, which is to say that if you go into your bank last week, let's say you had 200,000 euros. When you come in next week, you may only have 180,000 euros. <laughs> and when you add all those levies up, it makes a couple billion euros. Problem solved. Bang, you've recapitalized your banks. But 
You've done two things in the process. Um, well, A, you, you've just put a hugely regressive tax onto your people. And, and the, the Cypriot government, the EU, is arguing that this is better than austerity because it's just a one-time, you know, we're take ripping, your medicine once. We're ripping we're the done. Band-Aid off. I, I, you know, who knows? But the bigger problem, I think, is that you've destroyed confidence in your banking sector. And, and you know, I can't believe there's not more panic in Europe today, specifically in Spain and Italy, where the banks are in trouble. They're trying to figure out ways to recapitalize them, you know, and 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 taking a levy. The EU has shown they're now willing to put a levy on deposits. You know, I would think if I'm an Italian or a Spanish person, I'm going to my bank and I'm getting my savings out. And that would cause a huge problem because deposits are, are generally speaking, the lowest cost financing that any bank has. And if you get a run on the banks, they're going to topple really, really fast. And that's a that's a that's a major problem. So I'm not sure. Everybody thought this through, but, you know, no one – the run of the banks has not started. People in Spain and Italy are reportedly quite calm. I, I wouldn't be. Yeah, I was, I was gonna, <laughs> But, you know, so it goes. We were t- Yeah, we were talking before we started taping. I was surprised that when I turned on the TV this morning and was watching the coverage on CNBC, I really thought that there was going to be, as we saw a few years ago in Greece, and I know you had a different experience when you actually went to Greece where, you know, there were – there were reports of riots, and you and and uh, some of the other folks. Yeah, I mean, but it, it was pretty benign. It yeah. was pretty benign. But I was expecting to at least see people amassing outside bags, holding signs, picketing something, and it was so calm. And I just thought, what am I missing here? I don't know if this is just the European leisure culture coming out. <laughs> people just sort of like, yeah, it is what it is. I, I really don't know. I mean, like I said, I would be at the bank getting my money out sooner rather than later, um, because you know. It's just, it's a, I mean, think about the uncertainty you have if you saved all your life for something and you've got a, a financial goal in mind right. and then they come and rip 10% off of you. That to me is, 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 is very unsettling. You know, it's also really unfair because people who have, you know, savings tend maybe not to be the, you know, the wealthiest people because wealthier people are probably in other investment accounts. Right. Which are not being hit by levies. And then, you know, the other example is imagine you're a small business who has a very large bank balance because you keep all your working capital in the bank. So you've got a couple hundred thousand euros of working capital sitting there, um, but you're only going to make this year maybe a 5 6% profit margin. Well, if they come and take 10% of your working capital, I mean, now you're unprofitable. <laughs> you're losing money for the year. I mean, it, it really, the plan, the, the benefits of the plan are that it's really easy to administer and they're going to get the money to the extent that this gets approved by the Cypriot Parliament, they're going to get the money immediately, which is when they need it. You know, but there's so many problems with it. I, I just can't believe this is an option. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if you're not going to see like a spike in demand for empty coffee cans and holes in the ground because, I mean, <laughs> this is backward looking, obviously, but these people would have been way better off just burying their money in the backyard than leaving it in the bank. Uh, but, I mean, to Tim's point there, I don't know how the Cypriot banking system really moves forward from this because we're kind of making the joke here. And really it is a joke that they're, yeah, they're taking depositors money in exchange for shares in said bank. But what good are those shares when they're essentially worthless? I mean, I think that says a lot uh, about their position when they're needing to take the cash and saying, okay, well, we'll just, you know, shell out shares. I mean, I think they pretty much view those shares as worthless and, and probably the depositors do as well. But the implications of this are what, I think need to be more the focus for for us for headlines here. I mean, Cyprus obviously is very small, obviously compared to us. But the implications, whether it's something that affects Spain or Italy, as Tim mentioned, they're shoring up their balance sheets with their financial system as well. You know, it kind of goes back to that maker's mark thing. 
if they'll do this, what won't they do? Right. And and that's really the question that that investors and and <laughs> depositors in Cyprus need to be need to be asking today. I'd be freaking out. I'd I'd have gotten my money yesterday if I could. I mean, so what is what is the ripple effect? I and mean, obviously, this takes some prognostication. Um, but but I'm the one asking the question. You get to do the prognosticating. So so I'm fine with this line. Um, well, just like a perpetual run on the bank. I, I mean, mean the run it, just is, spreads. Is is it? automatically a negative ripple effect for banks in Europe? Because I heard at least one person on CNBC this morning saying, actually, the ripple effect for U.S. banks is a positive one because if you are someone who's looking to invest in banks, you're looking, this is one more sign of trouble in Europe and you're looking at U.S. banks as a sign of stability. Yeah, I mean, this is a EU sanctioned policy. So, I mean, so it ends there. I mean, to the extent that someone, I, I can't believe the United States would ever even consider something like this to, for, for the problems that we already, you know, p- pointed out. You know, Canada, Canadian banks probably benefit. I mean, they've, they've, they've been attracting deposits for, for a number of years now because they've been comparatively stable, um, relative to banks in, in the EU or in, in the United States. So, I think there, there is, I mean, like I said, I, people in Europe are not reacting in the way that I would have suspected when this news broke. That isn't to say they won't start reacting that way tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, but I think if you're, if you're, I mean, they, they have broken sort of the trust, I think, that exists between a bank and its depositors. And so if you're in the EU and you have your, your money at Santander or Unicredit, or Credit Agricole, or, or, or one of these, you know, big European banks. I, I think you need to look look strongly at moving your money somewhere else, and that could be in investments. Although they're increasingly taxing investments in Europe, um, you know, I think France is going to enact a a two percent tax just on on buying buying shares and anything. It's two percent out the door immediately. Wait a minute, just to just to buy shares? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> As soon as you buy shares, bam, stamp, stamp duty or whatever they want to call it, um, they're just going to take 2% off the top. Um, you know, I, so it becomes harder and harder to figure out what to do with your money. Um, you know, obviously Denmark is not in the EU. Their banks could benefit. The UK has already said they're going to make whole all the civil servants and soldiers that they've stationed in Cyprus who are going to lose money. And, and you know, you look strongly at moving your money back into the UK. Um but yeah, if, I mean, if you're an EU, if you're a, if you bank at an EU bank, I think it's time to reassess your 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 relationship. I mean, Tim mentioned. I mean, the key word there, I think you mentioned, is trust. Because I mean, if you look at sort of the 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 chain of participants in a bank, you have your you know investors, your equity investors, your bond investors, and then your depositors. I mean, it's it's obviously not unheard of for for equity investors to lose their shirt to go to go straight to zero. Bondholders typically. Uh, get the benefit of the doubt there, and they're first on the chain uh, to recoup their to recoup their investment. But you know, when when you know when it all hits the fan, I mean, bondholders can can lose that stake as well. But but now you're going even one step further in saying that depositors are losing their share, and really, I mean, that's where the ultimate trust lies. Because if a depositor doesn't have trust in the bank, well, then why does the bank even exist in the first place, right? And so that I think what we have to look out for is, you know, are these banks going to even exist? Going forward, why should they if they if they don't have the trust of the people who need to deposit their money there in the first place? I mean, they're they're going to point to the extenuating circumstances, yeah. which is the large presence of foreign deposits, and say, you know, you know, deposit insurance breaks down when when your taxpayer base and your deposit base don't look like one another, and that's probably true. But it, it, precedents are dangerous things, yes. And, and it seems like they probably should have maybe figured out a more creative way to to solve the problem of not bailing out foreign depositors. Um, while figuring out a way to recapitalize the banks. 
Although one could argue that this was incredibly creative. I don't think I, I don't think anyone was. Expecting, no one expected it. No one was expecting Fair this, this kind of creativity. Um, Verizon is looking to shake up the cable TV business with the idea of tying the fees that it pays to carry TV channels to how many people actually watch those channels. What uh, a novel concept! Uh, uh, and let me just uh, throw a couple of examples behind this. Um, uh, so last year, 2012. Uh, ESPN averaged about 1 million viewers at any given moment in the week. Verizon was paying f- just over $5 per household to Disney uh, for the right to carry, uh, Verizon, uh, to carry ESPN. Uh, meanwhile, the USA Network was averaging 1.3 million viewers, so more viewers, and uh, Verizon was paying $0.68 cents per household to Comcast, the parent company of USA. Jason, uh, you were the one who mentioned this story first thing this morning. What uh, do you think this is going to work? I, I get why Verizon wants to do this, but if I'm Disney, I kind of like the system the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I I think they'll probably have a hard time getting the bigger the bigger distributors uh, on on board here. I mean, you look at like your CBSs and your NBCs to a degree. Maybe not find this. They they may not find this quite so attractive. I mean, I guess I think we all three in here would, if we had the option, subscribe to just any channels we wanted instead of having just to pay a full boat bill and getting, you know, 500 channels that we don't care to watch. Um, I mean, it, it it certainly brings up the question of if you're looking at something like a USA Network, for example, and they're getting 68 cents per month uh, and, and actually bringing in more viewers, you can see why it's attractive for USA and other networks like that to then figure out ways to monetize that content via streaming uh, agreements, whether it's with like a Netflix or a Hulu. The, the key is with ESPN and sports, people want to watch it live, and that's really one of the one of the attractive parts for any cable subscriptions that you're getting that ESPN uh, network, and, and it's it's very powerful. Uh, the entertainment channels people can kind of watch at their own leisure, whether it's a streaming uh, you know channel that they have via Netflix or Hulu or a, a DVR. So then I wonder if it doesn't make something like a Hulu or a Netflix a more attractive option. For these for these types of channels going forward, and I wonder if it doesn't give them a little bit more power in that relationship, showing that there's not going to be that they're they're, they're going to have to basically distribute that content via the the Hulu or Net, uh, Netflix channel versus you know the cable channel that might not be included uh, if if the carriers decide not to pay for it. It's it's an interesting situation. I don't know that it's going to be something that works out. You know. Anytime soon. Yeah, Tim, what about that? Because I, I, as Jason was talking, I was flashing back literally 20 years ago when I was working on Capitol Hill and there were Senate hearings around the whole notion of a la carte, um, menu options for, uh, cable subscribers. And it just seems like here it is 20 years later, the same conversation, the same, you know, a version of the same idea is being floated. But it's kind of hard for me to imagine that there's going to be any sort of breakthrough here because this isn't going to be necessarily a, it seems like this is one of those ideas where the money might move around a little bit, but in terms of uh, price breaks for consumers, I don't see that happening. Yeah. I think Verizon said they didn't expect the average Mm -hmm. bill to go down at all. And, and, And basically what they're just trying to do is, you know, the large media content producers, the news corps of the world, the Disney's of the world, the strategy that they've embarked upon is one of, creating a lot of channels, most of which are pretty crappy, and telling cable carriers that if you want to carry our flagship channel, right. if you want ESPN, you also have to carry 
Disney, whatever you know, yeah, you know, Disney X, right. XD or whatever, <laughs> whatever and, that horrible and, you know, and now News Corp, watches. News Corp is going to be starting Fox Sports One, Fox Sports Two. You know, they went out and got Speed, and uh, you know, and they're turning. And basically, what they want to do is they want to suck up more bandwidth on somebody's box, so that when it comes time to sell ads, they can do the same thing to advertisers, which is to say, hey, if you want to advertise during the Super Bowl, you have to also buy ads throughout the year. On all of these other channels that we have, and and even though they're crappy channels, you know they're still channels, and, and they're in so many right. households. Right. And so they're trying to get their average household size or their average household reach up. And cable companies obviously don't like this because they would prefer to have you know a product that people like and channels that people watch rather than just being filled up with crap and then having to having to jack up their cable bill every year. So I, you know basically what the what Verizon wants to do is keep the cable bill the same. And provide a better product, and hope that consumer appreciation of the product goes up as a result of same price, better options. The TV channels want to fight with them because they want to have more crappy channels, which allow them to sell more ads. And you know, the a la carte option I don't think even really applies here because that would that would take su- significant regulatory oversight from the FCC or or, or whomever, um, Congress probably to make that happen. You know, it's just there's a lot of greed in the entertainment industry, and and um, and uh, this is just. One way, one argument that manifests itself in. And let's be clear, even if this worked for Verizon and Verizon became wildly popular or profitable, uh, they still wouldn't bring Fios to Old Town Alexandria and you and I would still just be. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, I think they're about done with that. Uh, um, uh, before we get to our final story, speaking of sports programming, uh, March Madness is upon us. And I just want yes! to congratulate the two of you because, Tim, Georgetown University – uh, is in the tournament. Your alma mater, Davidson, is your alma mater. My no, I'm not. That's I'm the, Davidson is not my alma mater. Oh, it's not. Wofford College oh. is actually my alma mater. But now Davidson and Wofford hold a uh, a nice nice sort of rivalry, so to speak. Just just a couple hours I away. I thought that was your school. Nope. I was giving you credit for that. So it's nope. just Tim. Tim. But Wofford you. was in the tournament a couple of years, uh, two years, two years running actually. Don't live in the past, yes. yes. <laughs> I've got to live in the past. You go to school that small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tim. Um, how are you feeling about Georgetown's chances? I like the draw. You know, Georgetown has been notorious for flaming out early the last couple of years, which yep. has been painful to watch. You know, I think the difference between this year's team and, and those years' teams is uh, Otto Porter, for who people don't know, is probably the best all-around basketball player in the country right now. Probably not the best at any single any single skill. But I think if, if you say, you know, he's top 5%, top 10% in rebounding, defense, dribbling, um, passing, setting screen. You know, the whole he's the whole package. Yep. And so, someone who can go out and and dominate a game, um, which is what Georgetown needs because they can struggle to score at times. You know, I, I you know I think I think I like the draw for them. I think Florida and Minnesota are sort of moving in the wrong direction. So we'll see. You want Otto Porter Jr. to go public so you can buy shares? I'd prefer he stay private at Georgetown <laughs> for at least another year. For at least two more What I saw was interesting is there in that bracket, you actually have the potential for a Georgetown Villanova face, uh, facing off in maybe the Elite Eight. Is that I, don't right? think I don't think Villanova's going to get that. No. <laughs> what, they've, they've scored <laughs> they, they'd have to go through Carolina and, and Kansas, which would be a, a long putt. But you never know. You never know. One never knows. This, right. this will be a lot, is, there will be a lot, of, a lot of upsets, I think. This tournament has tournament. been known for an upset. Yeah, this, uh, this, it should be a great a tournament. Lot of parody. And by the way, I mean, just to bring it back to business, if there's any, all you have to do is just type in, you know, March Madness, NCAA tournament, and money into Google News, and you start to see just <laughs> eye-popping numbers yeah. in terms of the billions of dollars swirling around this tournament from the fees that... Uh, and it's great that the players get their fair share of that. I was just going to say, yeah. Um, it's really fair. It's a fair system. Incredibly fair. Uh, Iron Maiden finally 
has its own beer. Uh, for all you heavy metal fans out there, Stockport, which is a UK-based brewer, will begin producing Trooper, a handcrafted ale. Is this a business story? This is a business story. <laughs> Featuring the band's mascot, Eddie, on the logo, waving the Union Jack. Uh, yeah, it's a business story because we talk about craft brews every now and oh, then. Oh, do we? We do, sure. <laughs> Not every time you're here. <laughs> I don't know. I was just I, hot, hot whiskeys. I was I was surprised at, because I'm not a big heavy metal fan. Um, I don't think any of us are. Um, I was just stunned by the amount of records that Iron Maiden has sold over the past three decade uh, decades, eighty five million plus around the world. Um, but it got me thinking about sort of like you know what this absolutely makes sense. I totally get why this brewer wants to do this because it's one of those markets that. You know, it's kind of like investing, where it's like if you're not paying attention, there can be these profitable uh, businesses or industries that you're not paying attention to, and they just sort of methodically crush it. To go back to Otto Porter Jr., <laughs> if if Iron Maiden was a stock 30 years ago and you bought shares, you are rolling in the money. That's true. Well, certain certain of these these rock and roll icons, they they live on for for a long period of time. You look at uh, I was looking at I this earlier. Really Kiss Kiss's Gene Simmons is running this rock and brew chain of restaurants. So I wonder how much uh, how much time will go by before we actually see the Iron Maiden beer offered in the Kiss restaurants, or if if even such a thing would happen. Now, what I mean, if you're making because you you dabbled, I drink beer. You, well, but you also <laughs> you, you've also dabbled in making your own beer, haven't you? Uh no, I guess it's just I, you the, just drink a lot of it. Yeah, the science, <laughs> the science of that. I don't have I don't have the infrastructure to do that. I made a lot of it in college. We 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 had our own little scientific lab going in the house we rented the bad the last two years junior and seniors of college we we uh yeah we went to town on that one. so if you're making a beer and i'll get to you you can make a whiskey for your favorite band because as i said we're not really heavy metal fans if you're if you're making a brew if a band you know a, a musician that you like comes to you and says jason I, I want my own beer i want you to make it who are you going to make it for oh i would probably it begins and ends with widespread panic yeah Wow, that's, that's widespread. That's the pan band, pan. I like it. Yeah, and you, if you're making a whiskey or any liquor for that matter, who are you making it for? I wouldn't sell out like that. You, <laughs> he's keeping. Just, it's real. just a cheap way to market your product. Isn't there an Otto Porter Stout? You know the the, the Georgetown blog that I read, Casual Hoya, uh, which they do a great job. Um, somebody who who won the Lagunitas Brewing Competition or something named their beer Casual Ale, which is now I guess the or Casual Ale. Casual Ale. Um, which I guess is now the official beer of Georgetown fans. I haven't had it, but but um, where can you buy it? I don't know if you can buy it. I, it it's apparently just shown up at parties. Oh, it's, just, it's just like a secret handshake thing among yeah, the Georgetown like alums. That. Yeah, I, well, I, like I said, I haven't had it, so maybe by mentioning it publicly, someone will will smile upon me and, and mail a bottle to the Motley Fool. Tim mentioned Casual Hoya. I will mention that if you want to read uh, some of Tim Hansen's writing, you can go to foolfunds.com. Tim Hansen, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fuller. Our producer is Matt Career. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.